Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. This is God speaking, speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, to the children of Israel. And he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you ever heard that that verse before? A few of you? Yeah, maybe it's familiar. Maybe you don't have it memorized. I bet there's some of you that have got it memorized. Amen. A wonderful verse of Scripture, powerful verse of Scripture. And so I want to kind of use that tonight and talk to you about no unfinished plans. No unfinished plans. That verse that uh, I just had on the screen just read to you from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 and 11. The fact of the matter is is that it's one of the most well-known, it's one of the most beloved verses in the entire Bible, right? And uh, many, many Christians have memorized it, committed it to memory, and quote it to others and quote it to themselves. I've, I've seen uh, that, that verse of Scripture in graduation cards and spoken over graduates as they move from one phase of life into the next. And, and it's, it's a verse that we share with the sick, and it's a verse we share with the discouraged and people who are going through difficult situations. That's, that's a verse that we refer to a whole lot is that, you know what, God's thinking about you. God's got, a, God's got a plan for you, and he's going to prosper you. And so many people, though, uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11, that's the only verse they know from the book of Jeremiah. It's an incredible prophetic book, and if you've not read it or studied it lately, um, I read it probably two months ago, and I, I'd, I'd advise you to circle back and uh, spend some time in the book of Jeremiah, a powerful, powerful book that has so much more to, that you can glean than just this one verse, but many people, that's all they know. That's the only verse that they know, and so believe it or not, there, there is a website that is called topverses.com topverses.com, and, and, and basically what this website is dedicated to, it's dedicated to ranking the verses of Scripture from the Word of God in terms of popularity. And so I wonder if anybody could take a stab, could, take, could venture a guess at maybe what number one would be. What's, what's the most popular verse in all the Bible? John 3.16. Man, you guys are just on it. You're good, just Bible scholars here tonight. So not surprisingly, it's, it's John 3.16. But then the verse that we're focusing on tonight, Jeremiah 29 and 11, and out of all the thousands and thousands of verses that are in, contained in Scripture, this verse that we're focusing on tonight is ranked number 29 out of all the verses in the Bible, and it's ranked right behind this verse. That, that, that's the verse that's ranked 29, but the one that comes, well, I'm going the wrong way. That's on me. Here we go. It's this one. Comes after Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Anybody know that one? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. 
And so that's where it kind of is in terms of popularity. Jeremiah 29 is a popular verse, and of course, Proverbs 3, a lot of people refer to this a whole lot, and, and rightfully so, because this, this, this verse, these two verses make wonderful promises to us. That's, that's probably one reason they're so popular is because they're heavy with promise for, for believers, and we can claim those promises, and we can anchor our faith in these promises. And so Jeremiah 29 and 11, it's been a, it's been a lifeline, especially when people are going through hard times or difficult times. But here's what I want us to do tonight. I, I want us to do more than just do a, do a casual cursory reading of Jeremiah 29 and 11, but I want us to kind of dig in. And kind of like what we did with, with, with the, you know, Psalm 23 here uh, uh, recently, and I, I really want us to get the context, and I really want us to get the meaning uh, of this verse. And so here, I want to put something on the screen here. Jeremiah 29 and 11 the, the, the single most important fact is that it was written to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. So while this word was coming forward, the people of God, they're not on the mountaintop. They're not living in victory. They're, they're not living to their fullest, but they're actually captives. They're in a place of bondage. So that's the setting. It's, it's written to the Jewish exiles in Babylon who had been forcibly removed from Jerusalem by, by Nebuchadnezzar. And so th this, this is the setting of Jeremiah 29 and 11. They, they, the children of Israel, they'd been uprooted from all that they held dear. They, they were living hundreds of miles away from home, and they, they were living in the midst of a, a pagan country that was worshiping all kind of pagan idols and, and all of their dreams had been smashed and their hopes had been done away with. And, and deep inside, no doubt, the children of Israel began to wonder, how could God let this happen? If we are his children after all, how could he let us be taken captive? If we're truly his people, then how did we end up here? They wondered if God had forgotten them. And in their confusion and in their despair, they made two very human mistakes. Number one is this. They thought that they would never end up in Babylon. I'm a child of God. I'm a believer. So good things are supposed to happen to me. Blessings are just supposed to come my way. My life is supposed to get better as I become a follower of the Lord rather than me have challenges and difficulties. So the first mistake they made, they thought they would never end up in that place. That led them to a false confidence. And the second mistake they made, they thought that they would never get out of Babylon. Once they got in, they never thought they'd be there. But once they got into Babylon, once they were in bondage, they never thought they would get out of bondage. And that led them to despair. Church, we face the same danger when we expect what God has never promised us. And sometimes we do that. We expect things. God never said it, but we expect it of him. Or we refuse to believe what he has promised. Sometimes we make up promises of God and try to hold him to it. Well, listen, let me tell you tonight, if God didn't promise it, He's not bound to it. But what we need to focus on is what did he promise? And if he did promise it, well, then build your life on it. Hold on to it. 
believe it and don't relinquish it. I don't know if anybody here tonight remembers this, but when I was, when I was younger, we, we sang a little chorus that said, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Amen. And so we, it's about claiming, claiming those promises. But sometimes those promises don't mean what we think they mean because we don't understand the context. We don't understand the backstory. And so, listen, tonight, as we think about this verse tonight, I want you to keep two things in mind. And here, here's the first. God will not always do what we expect him to do. He's not your genie in a bottle. He's not your vending machine. You go push the button and what you want comes out. God's not going to do always what we expect him to do. And here's the other thing. But he will always do what he said he will do. Amen. With that said, let's go ahead and look at the first part of Jeremiah 29 and 11. Let me just kind of read it again. Here's what it says. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. And here's the beautiful thing about that. God thinks of us. God thinks about us. That may be one of the most encouraging things in all the word of God. He thinks about us. The God of the universe, the creator of everything around us, he thinks, uh, he considers us. He, he knows us. He remembers us. We're on his mind. He knows who we are, and he knows where we are. There isn't a second that goes by that God loses sight of where you or I are. Amen. We're not forgotten amidst all, amidst all the other plans and all of the other responsibilities that God has, amidst all the other things that he's shuffling and all the other things that he's keeping going and in balance. God thinks about us. We don't always think about each other, but God thinks about us. Sometimes we fail in that department. We routinely get preoccupied with life, and we forget the people closest to us. We, we, we forget birthdays, and we forget anniversaries. Mostly the male species does that. We, we, we forget important occasions. We forget Valentine's Day. There's, there's us guys again getting thrown under the bus. We forget Mother's Day. I'm noticing a trend here. But the truth is that most of us are better at remembering bad things than we are remembering good things. I mean, we can recall the worst things that were ever said to us verbatim. We, we, can, we can recall those insults that we endured as a, as a schoolboy or a schoolgirl growing up, right? We, we, can, we can remember everything, every time that we were bullied. We can remember every time that we were done wrong. We do that without breaking a sweat. Listen, I've met people who seem to have an infallible grievance meter. And they remember every mean thing that anybody has ever done to them. Even things that happened decades ago an elephant, right? An elephant never forgets, they say. I'm not sure who they are or how they know elephants never forget, but, but some people remember every rotten thing that has ever happened to them, and they hold on to that, and they recite it, and they nurse those grudges for years and years and years. 
Even when we do have good thoughts about each other, we forget them, but we hold on to the bad things. But I want you to know God thinks about you. As a matter of fact, God is never, he will never forget his children, and he thinks good thoughts about us. Even though he has the whole world to rule, he never forgets about his own. The Hebrew text of verse 11 contains thoughts or thinking or derivative three times of that same root word in that single verse. Thoughts or thinking are there. In other words, God's, God's not just saying, I've got plans for you. There, there's other versions. I believe the NIV, that's how it says that I've got plans for you. But, but he says, you know, it's not just that I've got plans for you, but he's saying, I've been thinking about you. I've kind of had you on my mind. I, I've been thinking about you. And listen, that's, that's a, an incredibly personal thing. Not just that I've got plans. I've been thinking. I've got some thoughts about you. I've been thinking about your life. I've been thinking about what you're going through. I've been thinking about what you're facing. I've been thinking about what I'm doing with your life and in your life. The Jews really needed to know this. Because they were in exile in Babylon. They were far from home. They were carried away against their, their will. They were held against their will. And they were there under the absolute power of the Babylonian king. And, and able to do only what they were allowed. Only what they were permitted to do. So here we are in Jeremiah 29 and 11. In the, the preceding verse, verse number 10. God had told them, look, you're going to be going home. You're coming out of Babylon. You're coming out of bondage. You're coming out of exile. You're going to go home, but it's not going to be for 70 years. So there's good news and bad news contained there, right? You're going home, but not yet. You're going to be delivered, but not now. It's going to happen. My word's going to come to pass, but not in this moment. It's good news and bad news. It's good because it meant that they wouldn't be in Babylon forever, but it was bad because 70 years is a long time. That's a long trial, right? That, that, that's a long one right there. And God said, you know what? You think because you're going through this extended trial, you think that I've forgotten about you, and, but you know that you're here. The reason you're here in the first place, the reason you're in captivity in the first place is because you forgot about me. That's the main reason that you're here because you forgot about me. I didn't forget about you. You forgot about me, and you forgot about my word, and you forgot about our covenant, and you forgot about my commands. And, but, but just because you're being punished in exile, that doesn't diminish my affection for you. And even though you're in exile, even though you're in Babylon, I'm still thinking about you. The main reason he, he, wanted, he wanted Israel to know the main reason they were there is because they, they'd forgotten him. That didn't change the fact that he hadn't forgotten them. He hadn't forgot. He didn't quit thinking about them just because they forgot thinking about him. I find great comfort in this truth tonight, the fact that God knows what he's thinking even when we don't. Just let it sink in a little bit. God knows what he's thinking. You might know. You might not know. You, you might not get it. You might not understand, but he He knows. He knows the plan. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's working out. You know, you, you like me, I'm sure there's been many times you think, Lord, what are, what are you doing? 
Why is this happening in my life? So, so much of this doesn't make sense. So much of life sometimes doesn't add up. And it does. I'm doing my best to serve you, and I'm doing my best to live for you, and I'm doing my best to be a godly individual. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? I'm talking about the good and the bad and the happy and the sad. It all gets jumbled together with apparently no rhyme or reason. And even if I say to myself sometimes, you know what, God has a plan. This is a part of God's plan. Sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? Sometimes that's hard to hold on to. And rarely it's clear to me what his plan is. I might be able to muster up the fortitude to say, hey, you know what? A lot's going on in my life that I don't understand, but God has a plan. I might be able to muster that up, but I don't understand the plan. I might be able to say it, but I don't see it, right? But he's constantly got us on his mind. When we forget about him, he never forgets about us. Amen. Let's move on to the second part of this verse. He says, you know what, I've got some thoughts of you, and they're thoughts of peace. They're, they're, not, they're not evil thoughts. Listen, it's, it's not enough to know what the, the, that God is thinking of us. We, we need to know what he's thinking of us. It, it's comforting to know he's thinking, but what is he thinking? Right? And so this, this next part begins to tell us that. In this case, he's thinking thoughts of peace and not thoughts of evil. So what you're going through, he's not trying to take you out. He's not trying to destroy you. Amen? He's thinking thoughts of peace. He's thinking thoughts of blessings. He's not thinking evil thoughts towards you. Let's try to bring this a little bit more into focus and look at this, this same portion of this verse and, and some different translations. Here's, here's what it says. Let's go back to the ESV. Here's what it says. I'm thinking plans for your welfare and not for evil. The message, which is a paraphrase, puts it like this. Plans to take care of you and not to abandon you. I, I want to bring peace. I want to look after you. I, I want to take care of you. And then the NLT says it like this. They're, they're plans for good and not for disaster. Amen. He has your best interest in mind. God has your best interest in mind. He's in your corner. He wants the best for you. His plans are not to destroy. His plans are not disaster. His plans are for good. But we will never properly understand Jeremiah 29 and 11 if we think that this verse is supposed to be some kind of divine rabbit's foot that we keep in our pocket. You know, I'm just, you know, God's got plans to prosper me. Prosper me. He, he, he thinks good thoughts about me. And, and if we think that, you know, that, that that's supposed to protect us from pain, if we think that somehow having that is supposed to protect us from suffering, no, I, I want you to think once again, what's the setting of this verse? God's chosen people are in bondage. Amen? So remember, this verse was given to the Jews while, not after they came out of Babylon, but it was while they were in Babylon, and it was given to them in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the trial, to give them hope, to let them know, look, you're not forgotten, and Babylon or bondage is not going to last forever. But understand what it was it. Jeremiah 29 and 11 wasn't a get out of Babylon free card. 
Hey, now that I'm saying this, you're about to be sprung free. You're about to be released. Everything's about to get better. Right? That, that's not what it was. But this verse would provide great encouragement to the Jews. And he's letting them know, look, I sent you to Babylon. But while you were there, I allowed you to go to that place. And while you were there, I am thinking about you. I have not forgotten you in the midst of that struggle. I'm with you in Babylon. And I'm going to bring you one day. I'm going to bring you out of Babylon. So mostly it was God's way of saying, I still love you. Even though you've blown it badly, even though you forgot me, I still love you and I still have great plans for you in the future. Listen, let me just pause right there and say, if you've gotten off course in your life, if you believe you've got a call, had a call on your life in the past, but yet you've messed up, or, or you kind of lost some time, or, or you got distracted along the way, here's what I believe tonight, that once you get things back in order and you begin living your life for God, his plan for you goes back into effect. You don't forfeit the call of God just because you take a side route. Listen, I'm not for taking a side route. Keep your, keep your focus on God. But if you fall, get back up and then get back to doing what God called you to do. He still loves you. He still has plans for you. He still has plans for you. And that's what he was letting Israel know. Look, you disappointed me. Look, you, you forgot about me. You went after other gods. But once you get things back where they need to be, once you get me back at the center, once you begin to serve me again, once you begin to look to me, once you begin to put your faith in me again, my plan for you goes back into effect. So what is God trying to accomplish when he allows his children to go through hard trials? What, what, what's he trying to accomplish when he lets us experience deep suffering? Well, there's several answers to that question. The first is this. God's trying to purge us of sin and to purify us of iniquity. Sometimes when we go through things, here's the reason why. There's something in us that he knows is going to take us away from him. That's what sin does. Sin separates. Amen? Sin separates. Look, look, look back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned, and what did they, what's the first thing they did? They went and hid. They didn't go towards God. They went away from God. So sometimes God's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to allow something to come into their life to get their attention, to let them know, hey, you've forgotten me. You're serving other gods. You're, you're serving your flesh. You're serving your carnal man. And now it's time for you to come back to me. So sometimes God tries to purge us of sin and to purify us of iniquity. There, there's, another, there's another reason. God uses suffering to test our faith. Will you still obey God in the darkness? Or just, just in the light? Will you still obey God in the valley? Or just when things are going good on the mountaintop? Will you serve God only when things are going your way and not when things are going against you? Will you hold on to truth when you feel like giving up? God's trying to work something in us sometimes. Here's the third thing. God uses times of difficulty to humble us. These are some of the reasons, not all the reasons, but these are some of the reasons God allows things to happen in our life. And one of the reasons is he needs to humble us. 
Listen, when things are going well, we tend to get puffed up in our accomplishments. Look at all my hard work. Look at my cleverness. Look at what I've done. My life is, look what I have. Look at my possessions. We begin to think that we got all that. We amassed, we earned all that. We deserve all that. We get puffed up in our accomplishments, but you let the darkness fall. We remember God pretty quick, don't we? Oh, God, I need you. I can't do it without you. I don't want to live a day on my own, right? And so sometimes God has to bring us to our knees where we remember, hey, that it is him after all, that, 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 that it's in him and through him that we have our being. Here, here's the fourth. Here's the fourth thing. God, God uses hard times to prepare us to minister to others. Sometimes God will comfort you so that you can comfort someone else. I, I know of many believers whose greatest ministry has come from something they've gone through. And now they're able to come alongside somebody else and walk that road with them, but they wouldn't have that ministry. They wouldn't have that empathy. They wouldn't be effective in that manner if they hadn't gone through what God allowed them to go through. So here, here's the fifth one, and we'll move on. Here's another reason God allows us to go through things. It's to prepare us for a new understanding of his character. You see, when we're in the furnace, we discover God's goodness in a way we could never experience before. Amen. It's, it's when you're in the furnace that you say, you know what, he's going to show up in the fire He's going to be there for me. He, 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 he's going to do things. He's going to accompany me. He's not going to forsake me. You don't know that until you're in the furnace. You don't, you don't really understand God's character until you walk through the valley, until you're in the fire. And that's when you see that he will be exactly what his word said that he will be if you will just lean on him and look to him and let him arise in that situation. You'll see God in his character. You'll get to know the character of God in a deeper manner than you ever could if life was just great and rosy. Someone wrote a note describing several traumatic events in their life, including the death of a parent and a very painful divorce that they went through. And he said this. He said he was glad to see the previous year end because it had been filled with so much pain. The whole year he'd been living on the brink. This is his words. But that's not bad, he said, because it's out on the brink of life that I discovered the grace of God. And I learned that I am a person desperately in need of grace. Would he have chosen to go through that? No, not in a million years. Would he have elected? Did he, did he want to do it? No, that wasn't his choosing. But because he did walk through that fire, he saw God like never before. Hard times helped him see how much he needed the Lord, and his pain taught him that he's like a helpless baby that is totally dependent upon God. So church, on one level, we all, we all know that's true. It's just that we forget it until life falls apart all around us. So let's, let's keep going here. Let's look at this last portion of Jeremiah 29 and 11. He wants to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. Some versions say it like this. He wants to give you an expected end. I like the sound of that. 
You, if you believe the promises of God, you can expect how it's going to end. If you believe the word of God, you can expect, hey, I know what my current circumstance is, but I, I know how it's going to end. I, I know how it's going to turn out. I, I, I know at the end what's going to become of it. There is an expected end. He, he wants to give us a future and a hope. He, he wants to give us an expected end. Listen, church, God is not just giving us a vague promise that things are going to get better sometime, somewhere, in some situation. That's true, of course, but this verse has a very specific purpose and focus, and this is it. God has an appointed end for his people, and nothing is going to hinder us from reaching that appointed end. Why? Because he said it. Because he spoke it. I've got an expected, I've got an expected outcome. You can write it down. You can mark it down. You can bank on it. You might not be able to see it. It might not look like, you might not be able to figure out how in the world right now. Praise God. But there's an appointed end. The children of Israel, though they could not see it, they held on. They, they, they were there under Babylonian domination. Listen, 70 years down the road, their answer was coming. And, but listen, that same God who raised up a pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, and God used him to judge them, that same God raised up another pagan king by the name of Cyrus. And God used that pagan king to deliver them. Neither one of those pagan kings were aware of what was going on. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know God was using them to humble the children of Israel, and Cyrus didn't really know that God was going to use him to bring them out. But each man acted accordingly to his own free will, but God worked through those kingly decisions that those men made to bring his children through a process that they needed to go through. You see, the, the end they expected, the, the end the children of Israel expected, it came, though it didn't come exactly as they expected it to come. The end came, but not when they expected it to come. They saw the end that God always intended from the beginning, and here's the reason why. It's because God has no infant, unfinished plans. He's going to wrap it up. He's not going to forget it. He's going to make good on his word. God has no unfinished plans. And so seen in this kind of light or this kind of context tonight, Jeremiah 29 and 11 becomes, and it should become a great comfort to all of us, especially when we're going through a hard time. Because it teaches us some things. It teaches us that God thinks of us. It teaches us that his thoughts towards us, they're not thoughts of evil. But the thoughts of good. And, and then when his purpose has been completed, he will bring our troubles to their appointed end. This is the hope in the future that we all need. Amen? So if this verse is true, then our position ought to be one of an ever-increasing hope in the Lord. And I admit tonight, church, that that's, that's, that's hard to do when you see a, a child suffering with cancer. How, how, how is this an appointed end? How is this good, right? 
it's, it's, it's difficult and, 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 and the challenges of life that we're a part of or we see or we observe or maybe we're close to. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to quote Jeremiah 29 and 11 with a whole lot of conviction when your marriage falls apart. It's tough, you know, to kind of continue to believe that when your career dissolves or, or you can't pay your bills or you suffer rejection from those that you thought that you could trust. But let me remind you tonight, we all live in a fallen world. And all of us are fallen people. Listen, we're not yet what we could be. We're not yet what we should be. We're not yet what we someday will be. Listen, there's no Bible verse can take away the pain that this world brings. But Jeremiah 29 and 11 leads us out of the darkness and into the light. Listen, we're not children of the darkness. We are children of the light. Proverbs 4 and 18 says this, the way of the righteous. It's like the first gleam of dawn, like the light that's breaking through the darkness of night, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. Praise God. Let me remind you, Jeremiah 29, 11, when did it happen? They were in bondage. They were in the valley, not on the mountain. Amen. We need to read a verse like Jeremiah 29 and 11, and when we read it, we need to ask ourselves, what difference does being a Christian make? There's evil around us. There's hurting around us. There's calamity all around us. There's tragedy that takes place all around us. Listen, we suffer as others suffer. We get sick like other people get sick. We face trouble. We go through the full range of human experiences. God doesn't insulate us from life. If you don't believe me, why don't you go ask the Christians in the Middle East who are getting persecuted right now. You know, what, what you think in a nice little Western way of quoting Jeremiah 29 and 11, oh, that's a feel-good verse, and I know the thoughts that I have of you. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. I'm going to prosper you, give you an appointed end. And we just, oh, this is so good. Just quote that little pithy little verse that we quote. But you know what? If, if that, that Christian in the Middle East is quoting that right now, they're doing it in the midst of persecution. And they're doing it from a more similar context to what the children of Israel were. They're in bondage. They're being oppressed. They're held captive. Yet the Lord's saying, I've not forgotten you. I've never lost sight of you. My word is not going to fail. My, my plans for you, they're, they're, they're not going to be unfinished. I'm going to see it through. Listen, ask the Christians in China what it's like to follow Jesus. It probably looks a little bit different than what it does for us. We meet here in a very public sense. We're advertising, you know, our services out in, in, on, on the Internet. This, this, this message tonight is, is going out through Facebook and YouTube. And those Christians in China, you know what, they're being very quiet as they're gathering into underground churches, and kind of slipping in, making sure nobody's following, nobody's seeing them. What does Jeremiah 29, 11 mean to them? Our brothers and sisters around the world face trouble every day because of their faith. And we can get discouraged at just the smallest thing. Where's God? Why is God letting this happen? Why am I facing this difficulty? The children of Israel had 70 more years of that trial. Wasn't going to work out the way they wanted it to or even when they wanted it to. 
But the key was that you continue to trust God and hold on to God. Musicians, if you'll come, let me, let me just say again, there's, there's no magic verse in the Bible that can remove all of your troubles. There, there's, there's no magic verse that you can just quote and take away all of your pain. There, there's no magic verse that will wipe away your tears and that will resolve all of your conflicts or, or bring you quickly out of the furnace or the fire. If anything, Jeremiah 29 and 11 is meant to help us while we're in the fire. It's meant to help us while we're in the trial with the certain truth that, listen, you're not there on accident. Nothing happens in your life that gets past God. If God allowed it, then you're there with a purpose. There's something he's doing. Maybe it's one of those five reasons that I put on the screen earlier. Maybe there's something he's wanting to purge from you. Maybe there's some humility that you need to embrace. Maybe he's wanting to get you ready for the next phase of ministry. If you're there, you're there for a purpose. But be encouraged tonight. It's not going to last forever. And God is going to be glorified. And you're going to be improved because of your time in the furnace. So what difference does being a Christian really make in this life? Let me remind you, Jesus has died and he's also risen from the dead. In his death, he defeated sin and in his resurrection, he defeated death. And because of that, listen, the two greatest enemies that we face are already defeated. Sin and death are already defeated. Jesus utterly defeated sin and death. The Lord Jesus has purchased us with his blood and he's brought us into his family. What do we have to fear tonight? Really, what do we have to be afraid of? Because our Lord and Savior, our Master, has already defeated sin and he's already defeated death. No wonder the Bible says in Romans 8 and 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? Really, another way to say that verse is that if God is for you, what does it matter? Who's against you? If God's in your side, what does it matter? How many problems and difficulties and perplexities you're facing in your life. If God is for you, that's the only thing that matters. That was true for the children of Israel and Babylon, and it's true for you and I, and wherever we happen to be. And listen, either we believe that or we don't. Either you believe that if God is for you, who can be against you, or you don't. And if you don't, then listen, you're bound to end up unhappy and frustrated and miserable, filled with doubts and given to anger and prone to seeking quick fixes in your life rather than waiting on the perfect will of God. But if you believe that God truly is for you, then you'll wait patiently on him. Understanding that Babylon, the purpose of Babylon is to make you better. Even as you wait for that day of deliverance, 
Babylon is supposed to make you better. The trial, the fire, the circumstance, the struggle is to make you better. We're not home yet. We're living this side of heaven. Can I just say, we need to hold on to Jeremiah 29, 11, this side of heaven. The day's coming. The day's coming where every tear is going to be wiped away, where every pain is going to be undone, where sickness will be no more, where broken hearts will be mended. That day's coming. But we're not home yet. We will be soon. But in this time, I want you to know our God is faithful to keep every single one of his promises. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.